This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Welcome to Backstage at Tilla Center. I'm Sherry Linker, Director of Communications here, and the idea behind this podcast is to provide listeners with a peek behind the scenes and what it takes to put on a performance on stage and, of course, along the way, share some backstage stories. Today, we're talking to Bill Biddle, Executive Director of Tilla Center, whose job is to run the entire Performing Arts Center. And we're going to talk about how to actually program the performances and maybe just maybe, he'll share some stories. Hi, Bill, and thanks for joining. Hi, Sherry. Thank you. So you joined Tillis Center a couple of years ago, but you've been in the industry for a long time, right? Oh, almost over 30 years now. <laughs> Can you just touch a little bit on your background? Because it's, it's, I find it fascinating. Well, originally, I had decided I wanted to be a musician. And like a lot of budding musicians, I wasn't very good and decided I would then take up acting because I thought that was easier. Found out quickly again, I wasn't very good. And then I became a designer and technician and worked backstage. I was actually pretty good at that. But my last semester in grad school at the University of Michigan, I took a class in theater management. And that really brought together everything I had been doing all of my life from the time I was little doing, you know, high school and community theater into college. And it really ended up being the place where I wanted to be. So I, you know, I was teaching at the time at the uh, University of North Carolina and the opportunity came up to become the director of the Performing Arts Center. I was already working in the theater program and I did it. And from there, I haven't looked back almost 30 years now. Which is interesting because you probably along the way think, why did I have that experience and why did I have that experience? And now it all makes sense because it helps you do your job better. Oh, absolutely. What seemed like was all randomly disconnected actually ties everything together. And I think that it makes me a better manager and director of a performing arts center having that background in all those different areas. And and in some ways, you know, I'm not a, a master of anything, but I know a lot about a lot of different subjects. And it really does help because you can speak the language to each of the artists and each of the disciplines. And at the same time, I can talk to someone in the field of management and they understand what I'm saying and what we're trying to do at Tillis Center. So speaking of Tillis Center, what, what was it about Tillis Center that attracted you? Why did you join for this role? Well, you know, I'm originally from New Jersey, and uh, I've worked in Michigan, I've worked in North Carolina, I've worked in Virginia, and each stop along the way, there were different things I was doing. The last place I was at in Virginia, I built a theater complex from the ground up. But I traveled a lot to New York City and always knew that I wanted to get to the New York area. When you're in the the arts business, New York is mecca. Because if you can make it there. You can make it anywhere, absolutely. And I promise I won't start singing here. (laughs) Um, But when the the opportunity came open for Tillis, I actually have known about Tillis for many years and and knew the former executive director, Elliot Soroka, and what he had accomplished at 
at Tillis Center. And that national reputation of, of Tillis Center was just sterling. And I thought, what a great opportunity. And, you know, and I didn't apply randomly. I mean, I actively applied when I didn't hear back initially from the, the search firm that was doing the search. I kept sending annoying emails, you know, because I really wanted to have that opportunity here. And it was just really a natural fit. And this is, you know, not the first time I've replaced a retiring director. This is actually the third time. And it's something that I think is a little bit different art because you're coming in each place that I replaced a director. They were very successful. And I had to come into each of those places and to move the theater into a new direction, you know, to find new audiences, to look at ways of doing things differently, to look at the financial aspects of things. And this was the perfect opportunity. Not that I was specifically looking to replace someone that was retiring. I was just looking for an opportunity in the Northeast somewhere. And, of course, outside of the New York. Yeah, exactly. New York City market makes a difference. So Tillis, what I enjoy about Tillis Center, it's so unique because we reach a wide range of audiences and we present everything from classical and jazz to national Broadway tours and family shows and, of course, rock now that you've joined. How do you decide what to program and what percentage of the programs to allocate to each genre? Well, besides my magic eight eight ball that's on my desk. (laughs) I think um, it's broken. Yeah, it is broken, actually. That's not a good thing. Um, What I really believe that we should always be presenting world-class performances. Now, what does that mean? World-class means different things to different people. So in my mind, we need to be offering things that meet people where they're at. For some people, world-class is the New York Philharmonic. For others, it's Larry the Cable Guy. And if that's the case, we meet them where, they, where they're at and we bring them along to shows, other shows and hope that they'll experience new things and continue to grow as individuals. And as far as percentages, I don't necessarily look at that. What I try to look at what kind of variety we can present and what kind of spacing we can present in that. And if anything, my programming over the last 30 years has been called very eclectic because you never know what we're going to do. I mean, I've done the things like the Long Island Medium, and I've also done Larry the Cable Guy. I've also done New York Phil, and next year we're doing the Marinsky Orchestra at Tilla Center as well. So I think variety and offering things, we have to be a lot of things to a lot of people to really be successful in the arts now. What was your what was involved in your decision to include rock in this past season, which, know, which heavier than we had done in the past? Well, you know, rock is really I mean, that's the the big band music of today. You know, that was your your traditional bread and butter audiences 20 years ago was the people that came to see Glenn Miller Orchestra and Tommy Dorsey Orchestra and Mel Torme and those kind of performances. Now, classic rock really is that new big band sound, you know, and not, not the exact same kind of genre, but that's the audience now. That's that's the audience that comes to the performing arts, that ha- they all have the disposable income to be able to go to shows on a regular basis. And besides the fact that I'm a big fan of classic rock, and and I don't program for myself actually, but but that really is is really our best target market. Also, people that w- are able to donate, and you know, no performing arts center can operate strictly on ticket sales. I mean, nationally, that ratio is about fifty four percent ticket income. The rest is all through fundraising, rentals, concessions, and those kind of things. All right. So, what's one of your favorite stories about an artist? I have a lot of, a lot of great stories about artists. One of my favorite, um, 
you know, back in the day, we, we weren't quite as sophisticated as we are nowadays. We weren't doing podcasts. You know, a lot of times we didn't have directors of marketing or communications or anything like that. But we had to do a lot of different things with very small staffs. And I can remember, you know, the story of Dizzy Gillespie coming to play a performance and the van on the way from the airport in Fayetteville, North Carolina, broke down in rural I believe it was parked in North Carolina. So we're stopping, and this was also pre-cell phone day. So we had to go to somebody's house in the middle of nowhere with, you know, big barking dogs running around and that kind of thing. Probably 102. Yeah, it was hot. and Yep, very, very hot. And, uh, you know, we had to ask to use the phone. So the performers get out of the out of the van, and, you know, I go up to the to the door and, and ask the woman if he can use the phone and she ends up getting some iced tea together and they're sitting out under the tree and of course in, the, in my memory now there's moss hanging from the tree and all that kind of thing and uh, all of a sudden Dizzy Gillespie pulls out his horn and starts playing along with some of the other musicians and the lady said you know, you better tell that man to quit playing that funny trumpet. <laughs> you know, my neighbors aren't going to like that. But uh, you know, and when you sit back and you realize here you have, a, you know, one of the, the most influential jazz trumpet players of that time performing in your front yard, it's uh, pretty good. One of my other favorites, and this is a quick one, was uh, the very first time I met Johnny Cash. And when I went to his dressing room. Was I, he all in black? He was all dressed in black. No shoes on and a hole in his socks. Okay. And. Uh, I introduced myself, and he said to me, Hi, I'm Johnny Cash. (laughs) Of course, what else would he say, right? Exactly. So what's something that our listeners may not know that goes on the night of the show? You know, there's a lot of crazy things that happen, and a lot of things ranging. You know, you always hear the stories about artists that want, you know, certain color jelly beans and that kind of thing. But what a lot of people forget is that, that artists are human, and they have some of the same problems that we have. For example, a lot of them are superstitious, and they have to do certain things a certain way. Um, I can remember one time when I was presenting Smokey Robinson, who just uh, performed at Tilla Center this past year. Um, we were waiting for him to show up at the theater, you know, because most of these artists don't do sound checks. They have other people do them, and, and they come in and make the adjustments during the first song. And on the way down the elevator in the hotel, Smokey ended up going to button a button and the button came off and he had to go back into his room at the hotel and start everything over his whole process wow. of ironing and you know certain things a certain way because if you look at Smokey on stage he has he's always very crisp and that kind of thing probably like an athlete yeah in a lot of ways you know like taping their ankles or, or that kind of thing so that you know that's that's something there and then you know just certain routines that you pick up some you don't repeat you know and others just the way artists warm up and the way you know there's some that will walk around in circles and do lots of different crazy things but you know it's, you know, and someone who's superstitious as well. I, you know, I certainly understand what they go through. So obviously you've encountered all kinds of personalities uh, all backstage. Kinds, all kinds. Is there any scoop you can share about either a challenging performer, yeah. whether you want to name or, n- or name the name or not, or one that surprised you? Well, there's one really challenging performer that, that I, I won't name names, but uh, I, I don't eat pudding pops to this day. <laughs> okay. And uh, that's one that, uh, you know, the, the reputation does doesn't always match what what they think. Nowadays, we're finding out some of those things are actually different stories. Um, the one that really surprises me the most was was Paul Anka. Paul Anka had this has this reputation of being just an absolute 
you know, I don't, I don't want to say a lunatic, but somebody who's really demanding and, and that kind of thing. And I, I presented one, um, Paul Anka one time for over four days, and we had a limo driver that he just nailed every single day. If the limo driver wanted to take a particular route, he told him to take another route. And at the end of the, the four days, Mr. Anka said to him, you know, You've been the best limo driver I've ever had. You gave it right back to me when I did it. And before that, this driver was saying, I never want to work with him again. And he gave this driver a huge tip. But to everybody else, he was absolutely incredible. And, you know, and you hear these stories about artists, and it's sometimes just one of those things where they're having a bad day and that reputation follows them. You know, I'm, I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, and everybody still talks about Philadelphia Eagles fans throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. You know, and with some of these artists, some of those same kind of things happen where something happens and it sticks with them forever. Like George Jones, the country musician, you know, was late for concerts all the time and got the name No Show Jones. Well, well, you know, one time that happened when I was presenting George Jones, he was 45 minutes late starting the performance, not because he wasn't there and wasn't showing up. He was on the bus watching football <laughs> and it was into overtime. So those are the kind of things, you know, we forget that human side that they do certain things, you know, how we delay things ourselves for that reason. So. Oh, that's fantastic. What's your favorite type of performance? You know, believe it or not, I absolutely love Broadway. And, and Broadway really has been the bread and butter, I think primarily because I was – that was really the field that I studied the most. But I don't have a favorite, believe it or not. I mean, I love classical music. I love jazz. I absolutely adore dance. And I think that's what sort of – you know, I talk about I'm not a master of anything. And, and I think that same goes to my musical taste as well. If you would go onto my iPhone – I've got every single style of music, some that you can't play out loud and some that you can, and everything ranging from Broadway show tunes to operas to, you know, extended jazz, freeform jazz. So no, no real favorite, but just really like all, and especially what I really like is is bringing different arts to the people. I mean, I, I see our job as a university-based community performing arts center. We have to bring a variety of arts to our customers or our guests, which includes students, faculty, staff, as well as those in the larger community, because a performing arts center like Tillis Center is actually a bridge to the from the community to the community from the university, where our job is to service the students and faculty on campus and alumni. But at the same time, we're reaching out for some people in our community. They have no connection whatsoever to the university. However, they have a connection to Tillis Center, and when they have a, a, a child or maybe even a grandchild that wants to consider college. Hopefully, they'll think of Long Island University because they've had positive experiences at Tillis Center. Well, and to that end, this past weekend, we had Silk Road Ensemble with Yo-Yo Ma. And Yo-Yo Ma came out on stage after, I think, 10 minutes into the performance, pulled up on stage with him, Jeff Beecher, who's the co-artistic director of Silk Road Ensemble, and said 26 years ago today, he made his debut on this stage as a 10-year-old boy, and now here he is. Yeah, those are the kind of things that you just, I mean, that, that really just touches your heart, and, and it makes what we do in the arts business, that's what really says, you know, we're making a contribution to the larger world when you can hear of those kind of stories. I'm tearing up. <laughs> thank you so much. We oh, really appreciate you. all the information. Join us this weekend for family shows. We have on Saturday, April 24th, first 
at 4 p.m. PJ Masks Live, Time to Be a Hero. It's almost sold out, so you may want to get tickets now. And on Sunday, How I Became a Pirate, based on the best-selling book by David Shannon. We hope to have you back soon, Bill, and share a little bit more of the Backstage Scoop. And thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to Backstage at Tillis Center on the campus of LIU Post in Brookville, Long Island. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit wcwp.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.